I'm Donald Wayne, and this is Trice Talk Mini Pod for a Monday night, June 14th, 2021. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mini Pod. Well, if this is the first time that you've listened to a Mini Pod, uh, this is a is a short version of Trice Talk that I do um, on the nights that we're not doing a, a Trice Talk Live, uh, myself and Dennis Lee, which we do um, four nights a week. And so the other three nights, I generally do mini pods. And on the mini pods, I try to use articles that I typically wouldn't use during the uh, normal Trice Talk series, uh, just because of length and so forth. And plus, I like to go in depth in some things that I, I don't really have the time to do uh, when I'm sharing the microphone with Dennis Lee. So that is kind of the stuff that I do here with Minipod. Uh, generally, it's about 30 minutes long. Sometimes I run a little bit longer. And usually it's about one subject, uh, two if I have two short subjects. So tonight I'm going to use an article that I found uh, through my old buddy, uh, Mike Huckabee's. Um, he has a morning edition newsletter and an evening edition newsletter. This particular article came from uh, the evening edition of uh, Huckabee's newsletter. And it's entitled, The Corrosive Effects of Critical Race Theory Fanatics. And yes, I know we talk about critical race theory a lot here on Trice Talk, just because it's such an important issue right now in the public. And I, I think it's, you know, with all the things that are going on in the various school districts across the country so and so forth and even getting into uh neighborhoods now people uh are affected by critical race theory in ways that they really never could have believed possible just a couple of years ago so yes you will hear a lot of conversations about critical race theory subjects on trice talk this one's a little bit different because it's about, it's from the viewpoint of someone who is not originally from America. But like most uh, Huckabee articles, he'll generally have an introduction to the article that he links to another source. Um, sometimes I use the introduction, sometimes I don't. This time I will use the introduction because it gives you just a little bit of background about what the article is going to be about. Huckabee goes on to say, this is a must-read article about the corrosive effects of critical race theory fanatics written from a unique point of view. The author is a woman from China who married a Caucasian man from North Carolina and they now live in the U.S. As an interracial couple with biracial children, they are naturally concerned about racism. And the writer thought that the focus on racism in the wake of George Floyd's death was a good thing. Until, as is always the case, the fanatics took it too far and became the thing that they allegedly hated. She asked, if you're going to judge everyone by their race and say that all white people are oppressors and all non-whites are oppressed, where does that leave her marriage to a white man? 
She cites the long struggle to repeal laws banning mixed marriages and worries that CRT is undoing all of that progress. She believes that the way of viewing the world erases her love for her husband. It erases my humanity, she says. And what does it do to children? To be taught that their parents' marriage isn't a loving relationship between two equals, but a battle between oppressor and oppressed? She declares, I traveled half a world to settle in America. I will raise my family here. I will not allow misguided teachings to tarnish the sanctity of my marriage, invalidate my experience, and create divisions and chaos in my family. Okay, so now I'm going to move over to the article, which is in Newsweek, and it's um, actually it says dated Tuesday, June the 15th. So uh, came out a little early, I guess. The title of the article is, and it's an opinion piece, How Racist Act, Active Activism Affects Interracial Couples Like Us. And the author is, um, I hope I can pronounce this somewhat close, Yi Hang Pogue. And she's a researcher of mental health and disparity and race. And she uh, evidently wrote this and posted it on 6-11-21. She goes on to say, This year marks the 54th anniversary of Loving vs. Virginia, the Supreme Court decision that struck down U.S. laws against interracial marriage. Richard and Mildred Loving, whose marriage we celebrate every year on June the 12th, were an interracial marriage that changed America, whose love forced a court to rule that distinctions between citizens solely because of their ancestry are odious to a free people. The loving case is personal for me. I am from China and my husband is American. We met online when I came here as a student. I remember eagerly checking my email every day waiting to see what Andrew would say in his next email. Two years later, we were married in North Carolina. The wedding decorations, a mixture of Chinese and American styles, just like our marriage. Six years ago, our love would have been a, 60 years ago, our love would have been a crime in some parts of America. Like the marriage of General Claire Lee Cheneau, a white American military aviator best known for his leadership of the Flying Tigers in World War II to Chen Zhang Mei, a Chinese war correspondent. The couple lived in Louisiana where their marriage was illegal under the state's law. Every interracial union writes another page in the book of loving, loving's legacy. And yet I start to worry that this victory could be undermined. It's not due to any racist malintent that I worry these crucial plans, gains are being undermined. Quite the opposite, in fact. In 2020, America had a great racial awakening after George Floyd's horrifying murder was caught on tape. More and more people started to confront racism. 
which of course, a very positive change. Yet as the movement progressed, the necessary correction began to take a troubling turn. I learned that some activists claim all white people are oppressors, while people of other racial groups are oppressed victims. I learned that they think that a racial power dynamic exists in every interaction between white and non-white people. And thus, oppression is present in every activity of life. Acknowledging and fighting against white people's oppressive role, I learned is essential for anti-racism and refusing to acknowledge it is white fragility. As the people around me became more deeply mired in this worldview, I wondered where does interracial marriage belong in these narratives? Why would oppressed persons want to marry oppressors? And if these activists are right, why wouldn't we have to conclude that no authentic relationship could exist between white and non-white people? When we got married, my husband promised to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Is an oppressor capable of fulfilling that promise? As someone who is deeply in love with a white person, I, I strongly disagree with this oppressor victim narrative. It erases my love for my husband. It erases my humanity. This is why I believe that to be truly anti-racist, we must uphold common humanity first. It is counterproductive to fight racism with labels like oppressor and fragility. It only shuts down heartfelt conversations. It builds walls rather than breaking them down. This view is one I developed over time. Along with my academic research, I have worked on various diversity, equity, and inclusion committees for years, where I became convinced of my human-centered view. But many of my fellow academics were moving in the opposite direction. After realizing that the anti-racist narrative of oppressor and oppressed had become the dominant view, I became afraid to speak up. I chose instead to wait. I told myself that people would soon realize this method is self-defeating and change course. Then I saw K through 12 schools quietly insert the oppressor victim narrative into ethnic studies and social emotional learning. And I truly started to be afraid. I thought, of course, of the children of interracial marriages. This misguided narrative could make these children doubt the authenticity of their parents' marriage. They may lose faith in their parents' love when the marriage is going through tough times. I do not want children to interpret a heated argument between my husband and me as a racial struggle between a white man and a Chinese woman, an epic battle between the oppressor and the oppressed. In a country with an ugly history of slavery and racial segregation, interracial families have been the ground zero of fighting against prejudice and building bridges. We have spent time educating people about racism, including within our own families. 
Many white parents deeply feel the racism their mixed children, their mixed race children face and take a more active role in fighting against interpersonal and structural racism. And yet, if you believe the most extreme anti-racist activists, children born to interracial couples are not created by the love of two free and equal human beings, but the results of a relationship between an oppressor and a victim. How do you think this would impact how they see themselves? I believed I had the right to be angry hearing this language take over, but I stayed quiet. There is so much fear going around when it comes to criticizing any aspect of the current anti-racist movement for fear of being called a racist. It was the movie Loving, based on the story of that loving couple that made my marriage possible. It woke me up. Watching Mrs. Mildred Loving say, I will raise my family here. I do not care what they do to us. I teared up. I felt like this courageous woman was speaking directly to me. We should defend our intrinsic right to be free humans and the desire to be united as humans at all costs. We should all remember what the Supreme Court concluded that distinctions between citizens solely because of their ancestry are odious to a free people. I traveled half a world to settle in America. I will raise my family here. I will not allow misguided teachings to tarnish the sanctity of my marriage and validate my experience and create divisions and chaos in my family. I hope the millions of lovings in the present day, as well people who cherish interracial marriage, will push back. Otherwise, the lovings will have been effectively defeated by Virginia in the 2020s. And that's the end of her article. I, I think it says a lot about the state of things and about, and I can imagine how interracial couples, although you know, people always say, oh, I know how you feel. Um, I can't say that because I haven't experienced it, but I can say I can imagine in my mind how an interracial couple would feel about some of the rhetoric in the country today. This oppressor and oppressed that you can't trust white people, that they need to be punished. They need to be taken down a notch or two or three or eliminated altogether, as some radicals on the left have said. The whites need to be punished. They need to be removed from power. Their history erased. The history of this country needs to be erased because it was started by white racist men. I think liberals, extreme liberals, socialist communists, whatever you want to label these people that are trying to drive a wedge, a permanent wedge in this country against races. They saw their opportunity to really make some progress during President Trump's four years in office because they used him the symbol 
as a symbol of what's wrong with white people in America. Although it was unjust and it was unfounded, uh, even though, you know, <laughs> I've said before, Donald Trump had a knack for saying the wrong things at the wrong time. At times. He had no filters, in my opinion. And, um, but that was part of the personality that enabled him to accomplish a lot of the things that he accomplished in his four years, fighting everybody in Washington, D.C., by the way. But I do not believe in my heart that he's a racist. I do not believe in my heart that a lot of people that the left are pointing to because of certain things that they've done or said are racist. Sometimes people just say stupid things, okay? We know that. And that's what the liberals say when it's someone on their side that says something wrong. They seem to justify it. They seem to be able to explain it away. But it doesn't work if you're a conservative or a Republican. You're evil when you say something that they can say is racist. So this lady, bless her heart, is standing up and saying, you know, you're not going to define my marriage. You're not going to define me and my husband. We define ourselves. And I, I, I think you see that more and more in the news today. As more and more people, and not just white people, okay? More and more people are paying attention to what liberals are trying to do, especially in our education system, especially in public school, you know, uh, K through 12. And they're pushing back. They're saying, you're not teaching that crap to my child. They're showing up at more and more school boards and voicing their opinions and telling them that they're going to make a change. They're going to stop this critical race theory crap or else. And that or else is not a threat other than we're going to change it for you or we'll take our children somewhere else. And I think as more and more people push back I think liberals are going to realize that they're not going to pull, uh, they're not going to be able to magically change everything the way they want to change it in this country. They're not going to be given free reign over the minds of children anymore to turn them into their little robots and say, you know, well, even your parents are bad people because they're oppressors. If they're white, you're not going to make our children ashamed of things that they didn't do. And more than likely, their parents didn't do either. So anyway, it's, I, I think it's a good article and I will be posting it on Facebook like uh, we typically do on Tristalk. We, we try to post just about everything that we use on the show on Facebook. So if you want to look in it a little bit deeper and uh, 
and look at it again, I think you'll find it kind of eye-opening as it comes from a perspective of someone in a uh, mixed-race marriage. And they're refusing to accept liberal definition of their relationship. All right. Um, It is after midnight now, so it's technically Tuesday. And that means tonight at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Eastern time on Podbeam. There will be Tristock Live with myself and Dennis Lee, and there's going to be a boatload of stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, Biden's <laughs> Biden's little European trip uh, and his press conference on Monday. Uh, there's lots of stuff we can comment on about that. Of course, you probably heard a lot of comments in the news as well. So please join us tonight for that live show. And then on Wednesday night, we have Wacky Wednesday, which we typically don't talk about politics. We try to just have some fun. Take a little bit of a break between a political night and then Thursday night, uh, we go back to politics to close out our week. It's the last show until Sunday. So uh, several things coming up here and hope you will join us. My name is Donald Wayne, and this has been Tristalk Mini Pod. And I uh, hope you have everyone has a great day today. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you.